Wow, man, it is 2020. It's like we're living in the future. It is. And I think this is as good as it gets, man. It is? This is as good as it gets? I think it might be, actually. I want my I want my jetpack. Where's my jetpack? <laughs> I get like everything else. Do you remember? Do you remember living back in the eighties and nineties and the predictions of the future? Dude, I, I I'm older than you. I remember living in the seventies. I saw Star Wars <laughs> in the theater. Wow, that was crazy. Yeah, that that's true. I know, I know. And wow. I wasn't even born yet. I'm an eighties baby. That's how young I am. I uh, yeah. I mean, I, I it 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 everything definitely on some level feels futuristic. Uh, William Gibson said something great though. He said that the future will not be shiny. The future will be rusty. And I, I kind of, I kind of go along with that. Uh, but ladies and gentlemen, guess what we're going to do? We are going to do our annual prediction episode right now. So what we're going to do is we're going to predict stuff. We're going to ask you to predict stuff too. We're going to put it in a box, take the recording and then burn it. So no one will ever hear it again. Unless it comes true, then we keep no, it no, because then we look awesome. We we are we are in one year, in one year we're going to take the recording and we're going to see how accurate we are. Uh and uh so with that ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Marketing Geeks. Marketing Geeks. So, uh Justin, we are in 2020. Um, we, I, I, we kind of did a prediction episode last year, but we didn't do an official, uh, prediction episode. So I think that, that this is a great time to kind of set the tradition. What, what say you? Yeah, I'm in. I mean, the only thing I could dig up from last year was that I did predict that the number one movie of the year was going to be Avengers Endgame, which nobody could have predicted. I had, that was spot on, man. How, <laughs> how did you do that? I don't know. I don't even know how I did it. I mean, just bow down and get excited because if I can predict that crazy of an event, then who knows what else I can predict. So there's a lot of big things here. Dogs and cats living together. <laughs> so, uh, all right. All right. So, so we're going to do, we're going to do, uh, how do we, how are we going to do this? We should break it up into, there's two parts. There's like just general geek predictions, but then there's like marketing predictions. So, uh, so I've got, I'm thinking topics maybe. Okay. Okay. So let's start with, uh, with like, uh, how about marketing since we are the marketing geeks and, uh, maybe some people don't want to hear just geek stuff. They want to hear like actual information. So, um, what would you, what would you tell your older self? Uh, what are you predicting right now? Um, I, I think I, I've probably talked about this quite a bit this year and last year, but I do think that we finally we're, we're seriously moving into a personalization age of marketing. That's going to be unlike what we've seen before uh, where now when you visit a website, your experience is going to be different than somebody else's experience. So, um, and this goes beyond just websites, but your emails will be different than someone else's emails. And this will be based on the way that your data is stored in the system via tags or uh, CRM data, the, the niches that you're interested in. So we're moving away from the one-size-fits-all approach yeah. to uh, what your experience is on, on a website or email. And uh, I think that this is becoming a huge, huge pillar in 2020 and beyond. I, I agree. In fact, I'm going to take it one step further. I'm going to say that a successful marketer will be a person who will basically uh, test market segments. We've talked a lot about this over the past year. Uh, and use the AI to kind of give them real-time feedback. 
and then uh, use the content creation uh, that that comes back from the AI to further how you market. So it's going to be a layered approach. I think that the most successful marketing is going to be layered where you use AI to kind of help you guide what you're doing, but then you have to still come up with the creative modes of, of how you're going to operate. If you're still using, yeah, as you said, the one size fits all, I, I, I don't think anyone's going to be very successful uh, with that. I also predict that doing marketing through Facebook is going to be a bit more passe. I think that people are going to put less money towards funding uh, Facebook ad campaigns and uh, they're going to, there's going to be a lot of dead space though. People are going to be figure, trying to figure out how to market because you've got to be very segmented and you've got to really talk to an audience now. I, I think for Facebook, I, I see less small businesses getting involved in Facebook ads this year. And I think that enterprise level companies kind of take control of that environment. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure there's going to be less spend overall, but I do think that small businesses are going to get basically kicked out because they're not going to be able to compete with the enterprise companies. Right. And with the level of spend, it's just going to keep getting more expensive, more expensive. Mm. Um, one, one of the things I read that was fascinating was there's a push right now to take the environment of a Facebook group and kind of move it over to your personal website. So like have a WordPress plugin that uh, creates the environment of that Facebook group right there on your uh, personal website or your business website. So that's kind of interesting because I could see that becoming really big or I could see it uh, taking taking hold or, or not. Um, but it's an interesting idea because it gives you control of the information flow. So if you if you bring the users away from Facebook and onto your site, you're the one controlling the data at that point, not Facebook. So depending on your company's privacy policies and depending on whether you sell data or not, uh, you control that. So you could say that, hey, when you're when you're in this community, your data is not going to be sold. So it creates that different kind of um, dichotomy. I think uh, I think you're right. In fact, I've done some uh, personal research uh, for a couple of my clients, and uh, I did some tests where we had on a land like a, a, a contact us page, we had just a regular email form, and then we had a chatbot, right? The chatbot hands down gets more interaction. I think that we're moving into a time where people are more comfortable messaging somebody on like a, a like a, say a WhatsApp uh, or through instant messenger than they are sending emails to people. Yeah. So I, I would say that part of your marketing needs to integrate a, uh, a, a chatbot of some sort or a direct instant messaging that uh, that if somebody goes to it, they can actually talk to a real person because email is becoming a bit more passe. In fact, I just looked over my email uh, over the past month and I literally had like four emails that were relevant to actual communication. Yeah, right. It's uh, it's pretty bad. Mine, too. So it makes me think of something like Fiverr because, um, like, you know, I, I am a Fiverr pro. I do sell uh, email marketing packages and copywriting packages on Fiverr. And the, the environment there is structured in a way where all communication is done via chat. Right. So if I'm going to make a sale, I'm going to have a chat with somebody first. They're going to be able to ask whatever questions they want to ask. And we're able to have a back and forth before they make a decision on whether or not they want to purchase. And I think moving forward in 2020, that a lot of websites are going to need to replicate that kind of engagement with the customer where they're able to, again, engage and get their questions answered, gain a little bit of trust, and then make a decision 
uh, based on the fact that they can truly trust you and and move forward with confidence. So instead of email, the customer is able to, to reach me directly this way. And uh, the kind of general rule of thumb, though, is that you the first person to respond is going to be the one that gets a sale. So uh, the only thing I would add is that you want to make sure that you have a notification on your phone. Uh, and a lot of these uh, chatbots or these chat um, plugins for your website can be connected via things like Slack. So you can get a notification on your phone each time somebody messages you and you're able to respond in a prompt, quick way. Uh, which is the the way to get the most out of a plugin like this? Yeah, exactly. So, so uh, I think uh, that we're in agreement. And uh, for all of you marketing geeks out there, uh, this is something that you can sell, or this is something that you can leverage. Is getting some sort of chatbot or some sort of uh, instant messaging tool for your website and moving away from the uh, Facebook environment. So, yeah, uh, that is uh, one of. But just to add one last thing to add there is. Because I see small businesses leaving Facebook, I think we're going to see a return to more small businesses using Google display ads, even YouTube ads. Uh, and then I do think that you're going to see some smaller businesses testing out other emerging platforms uh, because it's going to be more affordable. So e-commerce companies, though, will probably be diving deep on Amazon. Uh, I think we've started to see a shift towards Amazon ads. Um, and I think that's going to continue to go that way, especially for the e-commerce that might even move into uh, other types of companies. But for now, just e-commerce uh, LinkedIn, I don't see catching on still because I think LinkedIn still is uh, too expensive cost per click. I don't think it makes sense for a lot of the smaller businesses and uh, the next, the, but the other companies, though, these emerging platforms, something like TikTok, something like Snapchat, maybe could make a comeback. Uh, but I do think people are going to start spending some of their ad budget on some of these smaller companies to experiment with uh, ones that are more affordable to get the most bang for their buck. Yeah, and 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 that leads us to data privacy. So the next the next prediction I have is uh, data privacy is really going to become a huge deal. Now, um, uh, do you use an ad blocker or some sort of data? <laughs> no, like blocker. I don't use anything. What? I, I don't care if companies have my personal data. I, I know it's weird, whatever. That's awesome. That's so <laughs> awesome. Uh, I use, I use several. I use, uh, one called ghosterly, which I highly recommend. Um, I also use one called disconnect. These are all Chrome plugins. Uh, I also use one called Privacy Badger, um, and I also use an ad blocker. So I, I, I have like, plus I, I have a VPN if I'm really, you know, wanting to, to get that extra level of security. So uh, all that together, I, I try my very best. My phone, on the other hand, you know, I keep it in my pocket. I have a ton of apps. My son downloads stuff all the time. I'm probably giving away more data on my phone than on my actual computer. But I do think that data privacy is going to become more of an issue for people. And so uh, what does that mean? Well, it also means that if you're trying to get specific data from a user about their, their what they do online, that's going to be kind of a bit more of a challenge. So I, I see that the AI is going to become more essential to marketing. However, I also see it being harder to actually track information on your users and, and, and get the kind of data that you need to segment that out. Well, the big thing, January 1st, 2020, the CCPA, the California Consumer Privacy Act, went into force, but it's not enforceable till June 1st, 2020 is my understanding. So the big change with this is that if a customer or a consumer or a prospect comes to a company and makes a formal request to access their private data, 
the company is now complied um, or compelled by the law uh, to turn that over to the person. So they have to turn over the person's private data uh, by this new law. So that's the big change that's come into force here. But again, it's not enforceable as far as I know until June 1st, 2020, but that is now a, a legal statute. So I don't even know exactly what that looks like. Uh, I think a lot of this is going to come to light as 2020 moves forward. Um, a lot of the softwares that you use don't aren't really prepared to turn over a traditional full private data file over to a customer. So I think that there's going to be a lot of catching up and we have this kind of grace period between January one and June one to kind of figure it out. Um, and, and who knows like if, whether California ends up going after small businesses, whether they go after big businesses, but we're going to find that out. If you go back and listen to our episode with Jody Daniels from September of uh, 2019, uh, we talked a lot about this. We, we were talking specifically about the California Consumer Privacy Act and the ramifications of it. Um, she even offered to do a webinar with us. So we may have to follow up with her and take her up on that offer if it still stands. Uh, but it's, there's a lot to kind of unpack here as we move forward because nobody quite understands exactly what the CCPA means for internet marketers at this point. That's, uh, that's my understanding anyway. Yeah, no, we got, we, got, we got to get her back on the show because this is, this is going to be an intense experience. And so, so what does that mean for you as a marketer? Well, number one, uh, the way I always look at these things is it's a plus because if you can learn a skill that you can sell, you can make some money off of it. So as a marketer, if all of a sudden you need to comply with the new California privacy laws, um, which means that you have to implement new types of systems, this is good for you, right? It keeps your job essentially. Um, so my prediction also is that if you are not learning some of this stuff, like basically teaching yourself some new skills, you're going to find yourself a bit obsolete in the next year or two. In fact, um, what's really funny is, uh, I was, uh, working with, uh, one of my clients and we were working with a very large, like a huge, uh, marketing web development company. And uh, they did the first iteration of their campaign. And it was so amateur. I couldn't like, yes, this would have been fine five years ago. But this, the way that they were going about it, uh, no lead generation for uh, getting people onto the website. They were just dumping people off to the first page. There was no variation, no A-B testing. And so I, 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 was, I was stunned. And I think that there's, I've seen this a lot, where there's a lot of people who are still relying on things that they did just two years ago. So if you are one of those people, you need to listen to the marketing geeks because we're going to be this year, we're going to be so cutting edge. Uh, it's almost like we're going to be in the future, like now. Yeah, I have two things here um, that I found interesting. And one is about the GDPR because we've had all this hype about privacy and the GDPR mm -hmm. and how it's going to change everything. And that's been enforced now for two years, I believe. So in researching this, I found that the biggest fine to come out uh, for privacy violations in the last two years didn't come out of the EU. It actually came out of the United States, and it was addressed towards Facebook for $5 billion. Uh, so despite all the hype around the GDPR and the privacy they're doing over there in the European Union, it turns out that the biggest fine that's happened in the last two years was the U.S. Mm -hmm. going after Facebook, $5 billion. Now, I do believe that the GDPR did levy a fine on Google, and it may have been in the range of $1 billion even. 
Um, I, I need to, if you need to fact check me, go ahead and do that. Uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but again, I just found it interesting that after all that, that the, uh, that the U S actually levied the biggest fine on a company. I just found that kind of strange. So my other prediction is that we're going to see a flood of privacy experts or so-called privacy experts that come out of, uh, out of the woodworks, come out of nowhere, kind of just like we saw with cryptocurrency where um, you blinked and then everybody was a cryptocurrency expert. I think uh, as the CCPA and the GDPR start catching on into the mainstream consciousness, we're going to see another flood of these privacy experts or, again, so-called privacy experts that may or may not know what they're actually doing. So uh, all I would say is, I, I mean, they're, they're going after uh, a hot niche, and that's okay. But just make sure you do your due diligence. If you're going to hire a privacy expert, make sure that you're looking and getting somebody that actually knows what they're doing. Go hire somebody like Jody Daniels, who has been doing this for 10, 15 years, instead of the person that uh, just became a privacy expert the last, like, 5, 10 days from now. <laughs> so make sure that you're just doing your homework before you, uh, before you spend your hard-earned money on, uh, on consulting for privacy. I mean, look at us. Like we, we know a fair amount about privacy. We understand, uh, we understand what's going on with the laws, but we're not by any means privacy experts. We don't spend all of our time doing this. We're not lawyers. We're not, uh, we're not looking at the fine print necessarily. So I, I just have a feeling that you're going to see online all these new CCPA experts. Yeah, absolutely. Because there's going to be a crunch. There's going to be a, a, a heavy need for this stuff. So educate yourself. Uh, don't don't pretend to know something you don't, but. Uh, you know, just get the basics here and we're, we're going to be, but do your homework. If you're going to hire someone to make sure that they did their yeah. homework, that's all I ask. Yeah. Yeah. And, and definitely, uh, uh, learn, uh, what you can, uh, which, which leads me to the next thing, which is, you know, people generally myself included are starting to get concerned about, you know, not only privacy, but what their experience is on is online, what happens with their data. Uh, I've been wanting to do like a DNA test for uh, a little while. And it, that freaks me out because it's like what there's no telling what will happen to my DNA when if that company gets sold or whatever. So and I, I saw the story last week that the U.S. military is now banning their active troops from taking DNA tests from companies like 23andMe. I saw that. Uh, because of the risk that it puts out for privacy and data. Yeah, uh, that's data. crazy. That's crazy. I mean, nothing, nothing is worse than uh, an enemy uh, state to get all the data of your troops to know, like, what condition they're in. Uh, that's, that's, you know, because we all know, but, but that shows you that it's happening. It's a, it's a real issue. So yeah, totally, totally. So, so, um, what that means is that, is that the, the customer journey is going to have to involve, first of all, it's, you you forget about desktop. Everything has to be mobile first, everything, everything, everything has to be mobile first. Uh, second of all, so, I mean, like check your website, if your website does not show up on on a on a cell phone very well. You got to you got to get it redone. You have to. You're going to be a dinosaur very very fast. Well, actually, you already are a dinosaur if your website's not mobile optimized in 2020. Absolutely. The other thing is, for a long time, uh, when I was running Facebook ads for companies, we were going mobile first, and then when we were retargeting, we would often do desktop because a lot of people were making their purchases on desktop, but they were visiting websites on mobile. Well, even that's changed now. Yeah. Now people are trusting mobile for the first time and actually making purchases on mobile. So the entire landscape is shifting. So like everything is mobile now, in my opinion. People will still buy desktop if they're on a desktop, but the majority of traffic is going to be going mobile. 
Now, I'm not sure that voice tech buying is ever going to catch on. I mean, I'm uncomfortable with that technology to this day. Yeah. And I just kind of, I look at it like uh, if I'm at a drive-thru at like McDonald's and I feel like I'm going to get my order wrong. And I think that that is probably a concern for a lot of people using it. Um, that's me anyway. Well, you know, I think I think that that there's a, also a lot of concern going back to privacy. It's like, you know, we've taken this a little too far. I I don't want to get a uh, a Google uh, hub in my house because I, I, I feel like I'm going directly. My voice is going directly to people at Google who are like, you know, listening into my conversation and realizing how boring I am. It almost certainly is. I mean, it may not be people directly listening to your conversations, but computers listening in and pulling out keywords in the conversations. That's right. almost, uh, it's a virtual certainty. Yeah, exactly. And so, so, um, I, I, I feel that the semantic search by voice is almost like um, like 3D TV. You know, it was like an interesting sort of toy, but once people really got their hands on it, I don't, I really don't want anyone in, in my vicinity to hear that I may be wanting to inquire about something I got on my balls. You know, I want to like, I, I want to <laughs> put that in the, like a search engine in incognito mode privately. Yeah. Uh, unless some company could come up with a, a, a way to, prove to us that it's not actively listening to our conversations, that it's only obeying our, our verbal commands. Um, because it, it is, it's kind of weird. And when you read these stories about how like police are subpoenaing Alexa files so that they can hear the conversations that were had, it's, it's a weird time. Yeah. It's it. And, and so, so, so what that means is that the customer journey from here has to really be number one, personalized. You have to personalize it. You have to create trust. You have to, which means that, you know, and this is one of the things that I find super annoying about websites nowadays is that when you go to a website, it's like, hey, you know, before you go in, it's like, do you agree to this? Okay, perfect. Hey, can you shut off your ad blocker? Hey, can you like, I got to click like 20 things before I can go to, to. Yeah. And a lot of that is GDPR. I mean, the whole cookies thing at the bottom of the website, that's all GDPR. Yeah. Right there. Which, which also leads me to, you know, the death of cookies. Cookies are probably going to die this year. Uh, if not, they're very, they're very sh surely. Yeah, I think that's too short of a timetable, but I think you're right on the trajectory of what's happening with cookies. But again, uh, too short of a timetable. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say like two more years, but I would say that the, that the beginning of the end is happening. Uh, but you have, to, you have to now pay attention to the customer journey of, of how people are going to find you what they see when they get there and whether or not it's going to be a personalized experience. And so ultimately uh, what I see happening is people making a transition to basically having to make the same website, maybe three or four times to make that personal experience happen. So uh, my prediction is that personalization is going to be more important than almost anything else uh, and mobile. Yeah, and on top of that as well is the relationship between you and your customer. The relationship between the customer and the business is now more important than ever because everything is commoditized now. So if mm -hmm. you don't distinguish yourself from the competition, then everyone will just default to price because that's what people do. If they if they don't see value outside of um, outside of price, they're going to go to price as the default on whether on who they're going to shop with. But if you can develop value, if you can um, go out of the way and do something special for them, whether that's sending them a card, sending them a gift, whether it's giving them a phone call, whatever you could do to add value to the relationship, I think that's becoming essential now yeah. in the buyer um, business relationship.
Otherwise, you're going to get a lot of one and done transactions and uh, big businesses are not built on one and done. Right, right. So so basically uh, 2020 and moving forward into the n- next decade is definitely going to be about uh, personalizing, you know, finding those tribes, niche marketing, but also getting the data to find those niches is going to be a little bit more challenging. So I also predict that in 2020, uh, outside the box marketing is going to be more of a sort of uh, a thing going forward. Okay. So G- again, give me an example. Give me give me one example. Uh, as, as an example, if you are, uh, uh, well, here's a perfect example. So I I uh, I have a client right now, and they're a B two B product, and so uh, one of the things that that I had to really convince these guys on was that uh, the content I was creating for them at first was like super polished and super pro. And then I started uh, making content that felt a little rougher and was more about the employees that worked there. It was shot. uh, And and if I had told myself like five years ago that I would be doing this, I would have, I would have stuck a fork in my eye. Uh, I'm holding the phone uh, vertically instead of horizontally. So, you know, I, I grew up a, as a cinema kid, right? But uh, to, so it's like sacrilege to hold a, a phone or film, film something with your phone straight up and down. Uh, however, that's how people are watching it on uh, mobile. So the data I was getting back is that the stuff that seemed to be getting the most amount of traction was the stuff that just had real people and was a little more unpolished and felt a little more authentic. So... Um, uh, what we started doing was I started making more of that type of content so much so that the top boss like had to talk to me and like, what are you doing? This stuff doesn't look professional. But then I showed the numbers and I was like, look, people are responding to what real people, people are responding to, you know, these fun little stories. That's what the new generation of, of internet users are liking. So, so I, I would say that there's almost like a, quality degradation a little bit where being super polished and super pro almost feels phony. So I, I almost see that there's going to be uh, stepping away from that and getting more into something that looks kind of like it was just done yeah. on your phone. I agree with you. I mean, people like authentic and they like behind the scenes and they like, uh, they like it to be they like raw. They like to see what's actually going on uh, because if you, if, if you're too polished and you're uh, too produced it almost feels like you're holding something back uh, because it's so polished and produced. Right. Where when you're raw and authentic, you're they're getting the real deal. They're seeing what's actually happening behind the scenes, and they feel like they're being let in on something um, special. So I, I I think there's that really special thing that happens with the uh, with the live video that doesn't happen when you're using uh, green screens and polished and special effects. Exactly. Exactly. So if you think I'm wrong, uh, by all means, like like you know, hit me up on LinkedIn, and and I would love to know your thoughts on this, but, but I, I really feel like, and do some tests on your own, like try something that's super polished and try something that looks like it was just shot on a phone and see what the, what the difference is. And, and you'll see, you'll see. So uh, are we done with this topic? Cause I have another topic I want to talk about. Yes. Yes. So the next topic I want to cover is VR, AR, AI. So virtual reality, augmented reality, artificial intelligence. So let's start with 2019 because 2019 I don't feel like there was a ton of advances in any of these fields. Um, AI is slowly but surely chugging along and we're reading about some pretty crazy things happening behind the doors of major companies like Google, but we're not seeing a lot of uh, progression in the main industry, main field. 
And uh, I think most of these startup companies that are coming along, advertising AI in the realm of marketing and other uh, endeavors are mostly full of shit. Yeah. Um, so basically, they're exploiting the name. So what, what do you see with that, Andros? And also with augmented reality and virtual reality, like I'm not seeing a lot of massive advancements, especially in VR. I still think VR is at least 10 years away if it's ever going to become a mainstream thing. Um, I don't like the graphics. I don't like the experience from what I've, at least what I've seen of it out of VR. Uh, but what, what's your take on all that? And then augmented reality, of course, we've seen some advancements, like you could put your furniture in Ikea in your home. I like that, but it's still, again, uh, I'm not seeing like anything profound out of any of these mediums. Yeah. I mean, at, at this point, I feel it's still a gimmick, you know? Um, I, I used an AI app just the other day, actually, to paint my room, uh, where I got like, you know, imagine the color in this room. It worked okay, but it did give me a pretty good idea of, of what it would look like. But I'm not, I'm not like, I don't know anybody, anybody who's even using like the facial changing things for, on Snapchat to give themselves kitty ears. You know, I, I mean, one of the things that I, I think TikTok has really taken off and the reason why it's so good is because it doesn't rely on those types of gimmicks. What it is, is you have basically 30 seconds to impress somebody and do something interesting. Right. And so people are doing interesting dances or they're doing interesting stunts or they're making interesting short films. And and we've seen it all now at this point. We've seen the you know, the, we've gone to the movies. We've seen the world blow up. We've seen like, you know, giant dinosaurs. We've seen every everything there is to see. You know, it's hard for us to be amazed. Uh, and I think that that just being authentic. And, and again, this is goes to what I was just saying. Uh, being real is what is is going to be amazing. So, um, and because we're on the degradation theme here, Andros, I just want to say my personal preference these days is for lower budget movies, because like you said, I've seen it all. I I've seen all the bang, bang, Michael Bay movies, and I'm, I'm not really into that anymore. Uh, I like the character driven movies. I don't right. care about the special effects. I want the movies to be good. Yeah. If the special effects complement the story, that's great. But more often than not, they don't. So exactly, exactly. And so. So I, I think I think that until uh, and I don't see VR really becoming a thing. I, I really don't. Again, this is like 3D TV. I see AR well, until it rises to the level of Lawnmower Man. Yeah, right. <laughs> the book, um, not the 90s but, movie. But but I think I think that that uh, augmented reality is where the future is. But the augmented reality has got to be seamless. I, I it's it's got to be like a, a pair of glasses where the the graphics are so good. They blend seamlessly into my world. That's probably not going to happen this decade. Yeah, so it's going to be some kind of wearable tech that yeah. finally catches on that is somewhat fashionable or uh, invisible for that exactly. matter. Um, but ultimately, I, I don't really see any uh, major advances in any of these three areas in the um, in the short term in 2020. And uh, however, I right. do see major, major advances by the end of the decade. Yeah, absolutely. So, so as far as like marketing towards VR, AR, and, and semantic search where you're speaking your query, I don't think you need to put any effort into that. That's my prediction for 2020. Uh, however, uh, I, do, I do think with AI that uh, you, AI is a good tool for you where again, you can get some feedback and then you can uh, then use that feedback to shape how you're going to do your campaign. Uh, I forget our guests that we had on a few months ago where they said, spend a little tiny bit of money on your campaign and then see the results and then spend more money based on that. I, I, I think that AI is a tool, but, the, but one of my predictions is that we are going to put too much trust 
into AI. Uh, and when we put too much trust into AI, uh, we're expecting it to work miracles, but it's kind of like uh, expecting a text to speech thing uh, algorithm to read back to me something that sounds like a human. So I think that there's that we, we, we're putting too much trust into AI, expecting it to do the right thing for us. And I don't think it's quite there yet. Mm -hmm. So so I think that that as far as marketing goes, uh, don't rely on what you did two years ago. Try new things. Come up with some crazy idea and just try it. And and you you never know. So I just wanted to give a shout out uh, to our backlog. If you wanted to check out some of these topics, uh, you could go back and check out Kathy Hackle, who is the expert in virtual reality, augmented reality. And we had her on the show back in uh, April 2019. And for the second year in a row, she's been recognized by LinkedIn as one of the top influencers in the world in the field of technology. Wow. So this is a list put out directly by LinkedIn, Microsoft. Um, and she is a recognized out of like 10 people in the world for technology. So that's a big deal. So maybe we'll have her back this year if she'll uh, agree to do it. She's got the juice, man. Of course we got to yeah. have her back. And we had Rebecca Cost on the show who talked about predictive analytics and AI back in November of this year. That was also kind of a fascinating interview. And she said she'd come back after the impeachment ended to help us uh, come up with a predictive analytics model for the upcoming 2020 election. So we got to check. We got to get her back on the show for that. Uh, as well as Chase Hughes, the body language expert, who also said that he would come on to discuss the election in 2020. So we need to have uh, Kathy Hackle, Rebecca Costa, and Chase Hughes back on the show all to uh, discuss what's coming up here in 2020. These were all great shows, folks. And, and if you haven't heard them, like, like honestly, this was a stellar year for Marketing Geeks. And we had some of the absolute most killer guests uh, What's funny also is that if you go back to 2018 and you listen to the Marketing Geeks podcast, we uh, maybe had like one or two guests total for the entire year. Yeah. And now in 2019, uh, we were almost exclusively in the expert guest format. And what's awesome is we're attracting bigger and bigger names. We're bringing on people that have uh, prestige and are well-known in the industry, especially in the marketing and business industry. And it's, uh, it's an exciting time to be a Marketing Geeks listener because we're attracting these like celebrity-esque guests on the show. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, I've got uh, I've got some other predictions uh, with yeah, uh, yeah, just tech tech predictions. Any any other marketing predictions that you have there? Uh, this is somewhat marketing. Um, the iPhone 12, which will be released in September 2020, almost uh, certainly. Uh, here's my prediction for you. You ready for it? Yeah. It is going to be a letdown. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> It's a letdown. Well, you know, Apple Apple has basically become a phone company. They're not they're not really a. I mean, they 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 announced they're coming out with a gaming computer, like a five thousand dollar gaming computer, which is kind of ridiculous. Uh -huh. uh, I I don't. I yeah, they do still have a following though. I mean, I still have clients that exclusively use Mac and, and whatnot. Oh yeah, yeah. But it does. It, it does feel like it's mostly a phone company now. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's where they make most of their money. So. Uh, I don't think Apple TV is going to go anywhere. Um, and But I also want to say that ever since Steve Jobs died, the level of creativity and ingenuity has just not been there. Yeah. So now you're seeing these incremental, tiny upgrades, but there's nothing like exciting or shocking, or there's none of these like big product announcements like when Steve Jobs did a product announcement versus what you're seeing now with Tim Cook. Yeah. Well, well, the thing with Steve Jobs is that he would create something and you didn't realize you needed it until you held it in your hand and used exactly. it. And he could actually uh, I remember, pull that off and not many people can pull that off. Yeah. Yeah. When, when the iPad came out, a lot of people were joking about the name and they're like, oh, it's a giant iPhone. Why do I need a giant iPhone? And it uh, revolutionized uh, computing. 
so I, yeah, I don't, I do not, I, I do not, I see that being a big letdown. And in fact, I think that Apple, especially because they're capitulating to a lot of governmental entities that are not concerned about human rights, uh, I think that they're actually going to lose market standing. We'll see. So uh, a couple of other quick uh, little predictions I have. Uh, deepfakes. I think deepfakes are going to influence the U.S. election tremendously. Uh, so I, I predict uh, two things. I predict that there will be moves from uh, celebrities to somehow patent their face and their likeness. Because at this point, a Scarlett Johansson could make money off of her likeness. And if somebody is uh, deepfaking her in, say, a, uh, a video of sorts, uh, then, and, and, you know, that, that, can, that, that could hurt her brand. So uh, I think that there will be a move to uh, uh, kind of figure out how to deal with deepfakes. But, uh, but, but will there be an insurance market for this where I can get insured against a deepfake? I think, I think <laughs> that what will happen is there'll be a technology that will basically be able to identify deepfakes and, and how, they, how they've been edited. But uh, I do think that there's going to be some very wild deepfake stuff that's going to come out before the election. Uh, the potential so, is there. I mean, can't argue the potential for that is there. Which is which is going to be strange because how do we know what's real anymore, right? I mean, it, it's a lot of people are are you know live in this certainty bubble, and they're so certain about their beliefs that uh, you know if you if you give them information that contradicts their own beliefs, they'll double down on that belief system, even if they're shown information that proves them wrong. Um, and there are people who will, who believe basically anything, you know, like Elvis is still alive or, you know, other things that, uh, I don't want to get in trouble for, but the moon landing, uh, the moon landing, the earth exactly. is flat, <laughs> that, uh, Facebook is a good company. The uh, earth is flat. Come on. So, uh, vaccines, the whole bit, uh, Facebook, speaking of Facebook, I believe that, uh, Libra, their cryptocurrency will be silently killed off. There's a, there's a lot of evidence for that. I mean, it's already, uh, taken a huge step back. Uh, I predict that, uh, cybersecurity will be a huge industry as we talked about, but if you want to guarantee yourself work, uh, moving forward, become a cybersecurity knowledgeable person. Just, I think, I think that that there's going to be a, a a talent crunch. So people will need to find cybersecurity efforts, experts, and they're going to be very expensive because there's not a lot of people are getting into that. Yeah, what's your take on Bitcoin, um, regular cryptocurrency beyond Libra going into 2020? What's your take on all that? Where, where's that market going? Do you see that making a comeback? Uh, do you see that dying off? I mean, what's your prediction here for this year and uh, even for the decade with cryptocurrency? Um, yeah. I think I think that right now it's going to be steady, uh, but i i have a I have a prediction that's kind of out there. But i i i, I predict that that sometime within maybe not this decade, but but possibly there'll be a moment when uh, there'll be a revolt w between people who uh, realize that billionaires and banks are not looking out for the best interests of people, and if there was some sort of viral campaign where uh, stores and businesses and uh, communities all switched to crypto, like instantly, uh, then the banks would collapse overnight. 
and and we need free internet for that to happen. Uh, so if if somehow there was a a way that we can have some sort of free internet, we wouldn't have to pay our phone bills, we wouldn't have to pay for uh, data usage, and uh, cryptocurrency could could become a thing. I also think that there's going to be new brands of criminals though that will capitalize on that. So um, I, I think that that it's interesting to know about cybersecurity, but the banks have been really getting behind getting their own technology going. And uh, Russia has been, uh, and China have been huge into getting cryptocurrency. So at some point I see the United States dollar taking a dive, like a huge dive, not this year, but soon. Yeah. Well, I do see a lot of big banks um, taking large positions in cryptocurrency now. So they are basically leveraging themselves yeah. if something does happen. So they're, they're taking it seriously now. I mean, they really are. They're taking it seriously. Personally, I think crypto is a total crapshoot. I don't have uh, any kind of inclination on where the market's going. It's so volatile. It's so like out there. Um, however, I do like I'm bullish on the technology behind cryptocurrency, which is called blockchain, because I can see so many different applications on how blockchain could benefit society at large, including in the medical field and tons of different fields. But I really have no idea where the cryptocurrency market's going in 2020 or uh for a decade for that matter. Yeah, I, I, I don't either. I mean, it's, it's, it's anyone's guess. I, I heard this uh, interesting interview with, uh, with William Gibson, who I mentioned earlier in the show. Uh, and he was a futurist. You know, he came up with the, uh, with the, the whole concept of um, uh, cyberpunk and cyber hacking. And that was, the, you know, he could see the future. And now he's even like, I don't even, like all my books take place in the present day because I have no idea, right? Uh, it's almost impossible to know what will happen. However, I do think that uh, there will be a global economic slowdown. I think that the U.S. economy will still stay pretty solid, um, but I, I think that uh, uh, that things are going to move more towards automation. So we're going to see more stores without people, and uh, and the job market is going to be a little tougher. Um, and then when it comes to the election, which is the big elephant in the room, right? I, I do believe that uh, no matter what happens, Donald Trump will refuse to step down. He will not leave the post. And uh, even if it's clear that he didn't win, even if, it's, if he gets impeached, I do not see him leaving uh, peacefully unless his nail marks are in uh, the, the, the desk of the Oval Office. Yeah. Well, I'll leave, I'll leave that one alone. Um, but, you know, I mean, yeah. I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure. I, I don't know either, but I, but I will tell you this, and, and this, is, this is the God's honest truth. Uh, I, I predicted that when he, I saw him writing down the escalator and he did his first speech. That's, <laughs> that was the moment. I'm like, I got to get out of the States. And, and it was because of that. So I hope I'm so wrong on that. I really do. I, I, I pray that I'm wrong. Uh, but, uh, but if not, then you know what, uh, come, come to the Netherlands, brother. <laughs> yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see the reaction to the election in 2020, just publicly to see, uh, whoever wins, how the other side reacts, because we continue to go further and further in the polarization directions, further left, further right. Of course. And, uh, I, yeah, I'm a little, it's a little bit concerning. I will say that.
Yeah, yeah, and I, I'm hoping I, I'm hoping that there's a way that we can we can come together. But uh, you know, there there and there may be a moment. I mean, one thing I I I love about America is that there's been these turning points, these these pivotal moments when we collectively have gone, oh, we've gone too far. Like civil rights, you know, uh, like um, uh, like women women's suffrage. There, there's been, there's, there has been, I mean, there's a long way to go, but there's been moments when people have just like said enough is enough and everything just changes like quickly. Uh, so I'm, I'm hoping that happens, that people have just had enough of it. And there's like one common thread that we can all get behind and uh, who knows, maybe I'll come back to the country. But, so on a lighter note, yeah. Um, what's your prediction for the box office in 2020? Cause we talked about it last week. But we spent like way too much time talking about movies last time. Yeah. At least this time we're talking about business the majority of the time. But but what's your prediction here? Because we've seen how bad the movies look in 2020. So it's going to be kind of a difficult one to pick. But what's going to be the top uh, the top earner in the box office? Uh, is it going to be that big of a top earner? The top earner is in, is probably going to be The Eternals, which will come out at the end of the year. It's the new Marvel movie, the beginning of uh, phase four. So hmm. I I, uh, I predict that the Eternals is going to crush it. I don't think Black Widow is going to do extremely well, but it, it, it's going to do well. I mean, for a movie, but uh, I think it's going to do like Captain Marvel numbers. Uh, but I I looked over all the movies that were coming out for 2020, like the big tentpole films, and I have to tell you, I am not excited. I predict that that this year will be the year that will uh, that that people will look back on is like that was near the beginning of the end for the cinema experience. I think that, yeah, I think it's going to go more towards streaming at this point. Now I, I hate these movies, but I think the top earner of 2020 is going to be the fast and the furious nine. Oh, absolutely. But the, the dark horse that I'd like to see become the number one earner in 2020 would be the movie tenant with, uh, which is Christopher Nolan's movie, which uh, I don't really even know what that's about, but so I think uh, if the reviews come in positive and everybody rallies behind it, it's got a chance. Yeah. But that's the dark horse. So I'd, I'd like to see an actual good movie do well in 2020 and oh, be yeah. the top and the earner in the box office. Yeah. And the James Bond, James Bond will do really well. Birds of Prey will do really well. Uh, I don't think, I think Mulan will probably do well in China, but not so well in the U.S. Um, and, uh, and that's about it. I don't think, I think Son Sonic is going to be a bomb. Of course. Okay. But here's the big one. Are you ready? Yeah. At the very end of the year, I think James Cameron is going to re-release Avatar to get back his standing as the number one movie of all time box office. As long as Disney lets oh, him. Oh, man. It'll actually be really easy for him to get that. I mean, he actually just did a, an interview recently where he said um, it's a virtual certainty that Avatar will regain status as the number one movie of all time if it gets granted a re-release, which is likely yeah. considering that Avatar 1 didn't come out. Uh, it came out in 2009. And the sequel doesn't come out until 2021. But the other part of this is that I think that James Cameron is going to attach the Avatar 2 trailer to the re-release exclusively. And that's uh, unfortunately the most exciting event of 2020 in the world of cinema. Yeah. But I think that people are a little jaded over the movie experience. And I blame Star Wars, actually. So uh, <laughs> I, I don't. And have you seen it yet? No. I, you know, man, I it's like it's like a mercy killing for me to to. To go like, yeah, I'll go see it. I will, but I, I I'm not gonna feel good about it. It's kind of like like the way that girls used to have sex with me when I was younger. 
like, okay, I don't feel good about that, but I'll do I'll it. I'll do it, like, but I'm going to feel I'm really taking, bad. Yeah. I'm taking pity on you. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly right. You know? But I, I want to spend like the last couple of minutes here reflecting back on 2019 Marketing Geeks podcast. What were your memorable interviews? What were your memorable experiences? Like what really stood out for you oh, in man. this last year as a, as a podcast? Host? Well, I, I, you know, look, the whole experience has been great. I listen, you know, finding out that people listen to the show is, is amazing to me. I mean, it's just amazing uh, that people listen to the show and they like the show. I, 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 that to me, like the audience who loves it. And I, you know, we've been working behind the scenes to try and get more of an audience participation sort of uh, thing going so we can we can actually be like form more of a community around the marketing geeks uh, out there. Uh, so so that that's been absolutely great. The you know, some of the interviews that we've had, I mean, I've just learned so much from our guests and uh, some of the ones that you mentioned earlier. But I, I can't, I, I mean, I, I honestly can't put any one thing on it because I, I, the, the guests have been so great. We, you know, Dan Locke, uh, we, did, uh, uh, we did some of the uh, interviews. In fact, I, I think it was at the beginning of the year with, uh, with uh, Josh DeKel, who a uh, movie filmmaker, uh, and, and just some of the things that I picked up. But we're we're uh, at some point we're going to compile this into some form of book and have that available of the best marketing advice out there. But man, it's been a great year. It's been. What, what about you? What's what's been the the things that you've really uh, the people that you've listened to that you've really enjoyed? Well, I agree with you. I mean, every time we have a guest on and that's an expert in a specific topic, specific area, it's a learning experience for us. Hopefully, along with the listeners, they get to enjoy the uh, the interviews. Um, I mean, I've learned a ton. I really enjoyed having the cold email marketing guy, Alex Berman, on the show. Uh, I learned a ton from him. He really had some interesting takes on how to approach cold email mm. marketing, especially to enterprise-level companies, which I found very, very fascinating. I mentioned several interviews earlier as well, just like having like Kathy Hackle on to talk about virtual reality, augmented reality. Um, and even all, all the celebrity-level guests we've had, like Pat Flynn, Ryan Levesque, Dan Locke, Orrin Claff. I mean, we had... A lot of great people on the show. Matt Giovannisi was great. He he had a yes. He was hilarious. Uh, I, I really enjoyed having Matt on the show. Yeah, that was that was really good. Um, and then like Zachary Babcock, who was five years in prison and came out and is building his own podcast empire, and so many cool people on the show. And again, we have like Christopher Lockett coming up in a couple of weeks here that we'll be releasing as a new episode on the podcast. And it's been so awesome. We have interviews booked into mid twenty twenty right yeah. now. It's just incredible uh, the traction that this show has taken on. Ryan Levesque was great with the, uh, the ask method. Yeah. That's uh, right. uh, we also had, um, uh, and, oh, Angie Gensler, who, uh, she blew my mind with, uh, with her information about Instagram. That was, yeah, uh, her, her story was crazy because she left like this, like secure job on wall street. And I remember she had to cut like everything and she had to cut Amazon prime. Yeah. I mean, like who cuts Amazon prime? I know you can't do that. It's like cutting food. <laughs> But then she built a multi-million dollar business selling low ticket items. So like, uh, I think her, the biggest ticket item that she sold was like a couple hundred dollars. It's insane. And she did the whole thing on the backbone of Pinterest. So that's a really, really great interview. If you haven't heard that interview, I highly suggest you listen back to the one with Angie Gensler. Amazing. Yeah. So uh, anyway, uh, you know, I, I would I would just recommend going back and listening to uh, the show because I, I would say that almost every single guest was uh, just 
tremendous and and I had a good time and I love doing this show. I love it when people reach out to us, uh, tell us that they listen and thank you. So I, I you know the the biggest the biggest gift I have honestly is is our listeners, our seven listeners. So thank you guys uh, for listening. <laughs> and again, there's, there's more big things to come. It's going to be an exciting 2020. And our goal right now is to get the uh, you, the listeners, more involved in the show this year. And if you're listening this far and you're one of our key seven listeners. And, and, and by all means, uh, give us feedback. If there's something you don't like about the show, let us know. If there's something you love about the show, let us know. Uh, you can contact us directly at info at marketinggeekspodcast.com. And shoot us an email. And let us know that you listened to this episode, and we uh, we will respond. That's right. That's right. Or uh, reach out to Iris, uh, Iris Sturgeon on LinkedIn. She would love to hear from you. She's our fabulous producer who keeps us in check. So you can even uh, message us directly on LinkedIn or something like that. Because uh, I, I don't now. I don't go on there every day, um, and I do get flooded with a lot of messages. So I might be. Um, you might take me a couple of days yeah. to respond, but I will respond if you message me on LinkedIn. So look, look me up on LinkedIn. That's right. And Iris is the most responsible out of the three of us. So um, most responsible and responsive. That's right. That's right. And she's one of our seven listeners. So that's right. That's why I married her. Uh, you know, I'm one of them too. I mean, I'm a host, but I'm also one of the seven. So uh, 2020, here we go. Next week we have uh, who do we have next week? We have a. So next week we're actually dropping our episode with. Professor Nick Norris, who is an active uh, social media marketing professor and an MBA graduate from Pepperdine um, that's joining us on the show. He, he's a professor that I actually took uh, the social media marketing class under just uh, a couple of years ago, just recently. I took as kind of an adjunct class to kind of keep up on everything. Uh, but the conversation's fun. It's a, it's a great one where we're kind of talking about like how uh, what's the difference between traditional education and like social media marketing education. And we kind of get into all the details. Um, and then after that, we're going to be dropping uh, in sequentially, I believe it's going to be Philip Stutz, who is a, um, a political marketer that worked on multiple presidential campaigns, including a winning campaign and uh, has worked on hundreds of congressional campaigns. So uh, he, and on top of that, he also does corporate marketing. He runs a corporate marketing branch and a political marketing branch. He's got tons of key insights to share. That's a very exciting interview. Philip Stutz is coming up. And then, of course, Christopher Lockhead, the big name, who's a top 10 podcaster in iTunes, Apple Podcasts, uh, as are the marketing geeks. Um, and uh, we're going to have him on the show. And he's led, uh, he's been the CMO, chief marketing officer for three Silicon Valley companies and helped grow all three of them um, to seven figures and beyond. I think all of them were uh, eight or nine figures, if I'm uh, not if I'm not mistaken. So he's a, he's a big deal. He's a, he's retired in the world of uh, in his role as CMO for those companies, but he is continuing on to give back from what he's learned. And the podcast medium has been a big part of uh, his journey, giving back uh, after uh, after his long career. So that's uh, that's all coming up. Exciting, exciting stuff to kick off the year. So um, anyway, with that, ladies and gentlemen, we close out this section. And uh, Justin, you're an amazing friend. Thank you for being my co-host. Adros, you are an incredible co-host and an amazing person. And with that, Marketing Geeks out. Stay classy.